I believe you are doing well. Amen. Well, I can't see your faces. If I saw your faces, I'll be able to know whether you are doing well. But I want to believe by faith everybody is doing well. Amen. It's good to see all of you in church as usual. God bless all of you for tuning in. Well, before I I preach, I just uh, want to read a letter and then explain some things. Um, As Pastor Robert was doing the announcement, he said that um, in the interim, we are streaming and there is a reason for that. Uh, We are, where we meet, it's the premises of another church. So in some sort of way, we are under their leadership and the direction in which they want to go as concerning the um, church building we will also have to follow suit uh, on friday when i stepped into work uh, the pastor called me and he made an interesting discovery on the place which is against health and safety rules so they've decided to close their doors to the public and attend to that well i commend them on that i think that's um responsible leadership amen but this was the letter he sent to me and I want to read it out. And I sent it to Pastors Jessica and Robert, so they are aware. Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This message is to let you know that we have found mold that has spread in our church basement ceiling. As we all know, this poses health risk and also to OSHA. You know, OSHA is the acronym for Occupational Safety and Healthy Administration. And the law requires that you remove and sanitize the place before you can use it as a a place of worship or for whatever purpose of your building. We've been in contact with our church mutual insurance and also engaging a remediation company to do the job for us. And if you are aware of uh, cases of such nature, it it can really prolong, depending on how long you file the insurance claims and all that stuff. So um, that's what is happening. So in light of this, I'm by this, Notice informing you that the building is closed to all our users until the situation is resolved. It may interest you to know that our church, the name of the church is Ebenezer SDA, was scheduled to reopen. Um, that was on Saturday because they meet on Saturday. So they were rescheduled to open on 14th August, um, but they've had to postpone. They were scheduled to reopen, but they let as use the church so that's very kind of them and, and they are very nice people so far we've had a very cordial and a very good and harmonious working relationship um so they've postponed it to a later date because of the mode issue we want to resolve this as soon as possible so that we can all resume in-person church services hopefully we can resolve this within a week or two we are sorry for the inconvenience this may cause you and your congregation I'll keep you informed as we go forward to resolving the issue. So you just sign off. So that's the message. That's why today we are here. Uh, Under normal circumstances, we would have been streaming from church and those who would have also come to church, uh, we would have also received and served you either in person or virtually. So for now, we will be streaming online until they are able to resolve the issue. So let's pray for them that they will be able to resolve it. Uh, as soon as possible, so that we will be able to get back into the swing of things. Howbeit, as a church, we are not distracted. We will just continue to focus and do uh, what God has called us to do and serve God's people. Amen. 
So that's the short announcement for now. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your holy word. We pray that your word will minister to us in simplicity and in clarity of speech. I thank you for inspiration because the Holy Spirit will speak through me. I thank you for impact because I will not speak my words, but I will speak words that will be uttered effortlessly to me by the Holy Spirit. I thank you that this word will be a seed that will be planted on the soils of the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we began volume three of our series uh, on the book of John. And like I said, I have changed the title from the book of John projecting his divinity to the book of John, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. I just decided to just change the title. But it's, it's, still, it's still within the same nutshell. Well, the divinity and lordship cannot really be separated, but I felt let me just use the lordship of Jesus Christ. And last week we started off with John chapter 9, verse 1 to 12. And I will um, urge you to invite your friends or even share the recording with people because in a time like this, I think it's very paramount, not just to ICC alone, but to the body of Christ and to the world at large that don't know Jesus Christ to really know who Jesus is. The knowledge of Christ has to be spread abroad. So it would be good to invite a friend or two or a family member to tune in and listen and strengthen their conviction on the divinity and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Well, we realize from this text that certain problems arise for the work of God to be revealed in us, as was our subject last week. And in this blind man's case, Jesus revealed himself as the light of the world, stressing he must work while it is day. And if you do remember, last week I said day was a euphemism for the word opportunity. And he said, I must work whilst there is opportunity because the night time or death will come when he can't. And we learned that the works of God are time sensitive and also came to understand that the works of God are presently done through believers. So the works of God have not ceased. Jesus no longer in his earthly shell has ascended to the right hand of the Father, but the works of God are presently going on through the lives of believers. Amen. So it was very important for us to establish that truth. And we also said that the purpose of the works of God are to rouse people's faith to believe in Jesus as the Saint One and Jesus as the Son of God. And we looked at the operation or the nature of the works of God. In this case, it was a miracle for the blind man's um, sight to be restored. We realized that it was unconventional. Saliva mixed with clay, you know. I said if I was in that meeting, I would have run away. There's no way I'm staying. But the, the, the point you have to get out of that story is sometimes to become a recipient or a candidate of the works of God, it might come unconventional. And, and I was saying that how will you know it is the work of God when your heart convicts you? when you receive an assurance of peace from your heart, because it might not make sense in your mind. It might not have any logical factor, but it might have a conviction factor in your heart. That's why when we read Colossians chapter 3, it says that we should let the peace of God continually be an empire 
and it should settle matters. It should be the, the, the finality for all matters settled. Amplified version. So as Christians, we are, we, it's, it's heart over mind. We have to rely on the conviction of our hearts where the Holy Spirit is. So it might be unconventional, but if you get that peace about it, when you sense the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you flow. And that's why every believer has to learn how to relate properly with the Holy Spirit for things like that. But in a sense where it doesn't make sense to the mind, and you are also not experiencing any conviction from your heart, it's a no-no. You don't follow. So we don't just follow unconventional things just because it's trendy or it's chic. You follow unconventional things because the Holy Spirit has impressed upon your heart the peace of God. So the peace of God is the green lights that, that gives us the check that it's okay to go. So the blind man's miracle was unconventional, but the Holy Spirit was in it. It was in line with God's word. And, and then one thing that the Lord even told the blind man, go and wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. I'm like, wow, Jesus is very wicked. Why didn't he send somebody? But, but if you read the story carefully, the man also went. He says, so there is a bit of unconventionalism in the miracle. That's what I'm explaining. The miracle, the breakthrough, the works of God that you want to expect to receive in your life might not always be conventional. Might not always be conventional. I'm not saying every nature of that sort will be unconventional, but sometimes be prepared for the unconventional. I am reminded of the story of Naaman the Syrian, who was a captain, yet he was leprous. And he went to Elisha the prophet on the recommendation of a little girl. And when Elisha went, the Bible lets us know that Elisha instructed the man to go and dump himself in, a river, in the river Jordan. And he had an attitude. Rightfully so. Because the river Jordan was actually a dirty river. Do you understand it? It wasn't like it was just a small river. I mean, when you read the commentary very carefully, it wasn't really a healthy or a clean river that people normally use. But that's where Elisha directed him. And he got very angry. He said, are there not better rivers, Fapa and Abana? You know, he could dump himself in any of those rivers and perhaps, but that was what God wanted at the moment. And when Elisha obeyed such an unconventional instruction, sorry, the, 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 the leprous man, Naaman, when he obeyed such an unconventional uh, instruction, he received this miracle. The Bible says that when he came out of the river the seventh time, his body was like that of a baby skin. This was a leprous man. Leprous. So that's what I'm trying to explain. Be open to receive the works of God, but if it's unconventional, you don't just do it because it's unconventional. You always have to make sure that you have a check in your spirit. Let the peace of God continually rule as an empire in your heart. So that's very important. Amen. And above all, we conclude that the works of God should cause us to testify about Jesus to the world. That is the end goal of the works of God. 
God is not just doing works just for work's sake. He's, it, it's a means to a goal. And the goal is people have to know that there is God, Jesus is Lord, and Jesus was the sent one. So that is the statement that should be portrayed and be carried across when the works of God are in manifestation. Today, we want to shift our focus on verses 13 to 34 of chapter 9, and I read. They brought him, who formerly was blind, to the Pharisees. Now it was Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Verse 17, They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him, because he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. Wow. So the fact that you are blind in your eye doesn't mean you are also blind in your understanding. I'll leave that alone. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received the sight until they called him the parents of him who had received the sight. 19. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? Verse 20. His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. Verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. So perhaps the parents had to say that so that they can still be members of a church. Because at that time, the synagogue was known as a church. Therefore, his parents said he is of age, asked him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. I really like this guy. I wish I knew his name. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. This blind man had an attitude. (laughs) Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Verse 28. Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. You know, sometimes we pray, Lord, reveal yourself to me. Lord, reveal yourself to me. This was Christ on earth. And that they are calling him a fellow. They just see him as another man. The man answered and said to them, Why is this a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from? Yet he has opened my eyes. Yeah, blind man is teaching them theology. 
Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does as well, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. Verse 33. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in your sins. And are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Interesting story we just read. Based on this, I'm speaking under the sub-theme, The Pride of Religion. Well, if you read the story carefully, it gives us the mixed reaction at the news of a blind man healed. And I want to focus on one group here for our discourse this morning. And they are the religious leaders. But before that, let me define uh, the, 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 the word religion so that we are all on the same page. Amen. All right. So, the definition of religion. The basic definition of religion is worship. That's what it basically means. So, when they say you are a religious person, it simply means you are a worshiper. You are just worshiping. Amen. What you might be worshiping, that we might not know. Being religious does not necessarily mean you are worshipping God. It just means you are worshipping. But the object of your worship, that is something that could be ascertained. Now, it could be pure when undertaken in the spirit of Christ. When you read James chapter 1, verse 26 to 27, James um, gives us the idea of what true religion is. And he said, when you bridle your tongue, you do not deceive uh, somebody your religion is useful and you have to be pure in this world and be unspotted from, from the world. And you also have to visit orphans and widows in trouble. You are the one who is religious. So there is such a thing. So sometimes that word religion can sound like a very bad word. It is not when it's undertaken in the spirit of Christ. But the reason why the word religion sometimes may look like a bad word is because of the context and the people to who religion was being attributed to. Amen. Now, when we look at the context of this, this word religion has more to do with beliefs and rules to please God. And it focuses more on appearances and external things and being superstitious. You know, when you read Acts chapter 17, verse 22 to 23, it's a very interesting story. The Bible lets us know that Paul went to a place called Areopagos, and that place is in Greece. It really exists. And he spoke to them that, uh, I I see that you guys are very religious. Now, when Paul said that, he wasn't commending them like what James said. You know, James talked about religion. You, you, You are religious when you bridle your tongue. You are religious when you are pure and you are unspotted from the immorality and the corruption of this world. And and when you visit orphans and widows, you are religious. But when Paul said in Acts chapter 17, verse 23, that you are religious, he wasn't commending them at all. He was actually telling them that you are superstitious. You are worshiping. And actually, if you read the context of Acts chapter 17, they were religious because they worshiped another God. They were not worshiping God. They were not worshipping Jesus, the Son of God. That's why I'm saying that the the definition of the word religion doesn't mean worshipping God. It just means worship. But the object of your worship 
is something that can be determined. Amen. So they didn't know God, but they were more interested in rituals, external things, and ceremonies thinking they can please God. Please listen to me this morning. Church attender, believer, know Christ by developing a solid relationship with him. This is what will set you free from the clutches of religion because there is a danger. Listen, there is a danger coming to church for so long, being in the motion and in the swing of everything church, everything ministry, then end up being religious than being spiritual. And that's why if you look at the slide I put there, one could be religious without being spiritual. Yes, we should be people who worship God, but we have to worship him in spirit and in truth. These Pharisees, they were worshippers, but the object of their worship was not God. And that's why they were religious, but they were not religious after the manner of Apostle James. And what he attributed to true worship in James chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. And that is a real problem. Once you receive Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, be guarded against vain worship. And may I say this, being religious doesn't just apply to people who are, let's say, in a sort of organized religion. It also, it also have, it belongs to the world. They are also worshipping something, so they are religious. But you see, in this world, we will coin the term religion just for people who might, quote-unquote, be part of an organized religion, so to speak. But the word religion applies to everybody, the unchurched and the churched, because everybody is worshipping something, including the atheists who say, I don't believe in God. You are worshipping something. But the object of your worship is what determines whether it is true religion or not. Peter was a religious man. Paul, I'm sorry. He was a Pharisee. Then he came to know Christ. You see, these Pharisees we, were talk- we are talking about, Paul, once upon a time, was like them. He was religious. He was not really worshipping God. But when he came to know Christ, he, he didn't just end up becoming religious, but he also became spiritual. He became free from the yoke of bondage and had mighty revelations of the doctrine of grace than any other apostle. If you even read Acts chapter 11, it's a pity on how the church reacted to the conversion of the Gentile world started from Cornelius. I am very sure that persecution from the church perhaps restricted Peter's movement to go into the Gentile world. So sometimes you can be in church for so long, be caught up in rituals, be caught up in cycles of motion that you might not be spiritual. And that would be a problem. Listen, God doesn't want us just to be religious. He also wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. The blind man was brought before his audience of the Pharisees. And the interesting thing was that Jesus did this miracle on a Sabbath. Thank God for Sabbath. When the man who was a Jewish man, a covenant child, a son of the commonwealth of Israel, got healed. Guess what? They were not happy. 
they had a problem. And what was the problem? It was religion. And when we see here, we will see that Pharisees' reaction that denotes a very strong spirit of religion. After this blind man had narrated the story, they just dismissed Jesus as not from God because he didn't keep the Sabbath. But you know these people, these people were hypocritical because they, re- they, they revealed who they were. And why will I, am I saying they, they are hypocritical? These people had no problem taking a donkey from a store to go and water it. These people had no problem feeding their animals. They had no problem doing things on the Sabbath. But they had a huge problem when Jesus did good to a man who was a son of the commonwealth of Israel that they had a problem with. It showed their hypocrisy. Religious people are hypocritical. Look, when it comes to when you come to a place where you don't know Christ and you are playing in the motion of religion, you will become a hypocrite. And that happens a lot. And you know, it's so funny. When you look at this word hypocrite, it comes from the word actor. You will just become a perfect actor. You know the form of church and everything, but deep down, you know, you, you, don't, you don't have a relationship with God. The next thing you see is that they even denigrate holy things. Religious people are blasphemous. They don't sound like it, but they are very blasphemous. And why do I say they are blasphemous? Because they speak against the things of the anointing. And Christ means anointing. They speak carelessly. They speak very casually about things of the anointing. And we should be very careful to criticize anything. In this world, yeah, it's true. We all have opinions, but um, be very careful. Be, be guided in your speech. Be guided in your judgments. Uh, have some discretion. It's not everything that you criticize. When the spirit of religion invades you and, and you, you are not spiritual as a result of knowing Christ, you will touch holy things with your mouth and with your comments. And that's what happened. They were hypocritical. They just blasted Jesus as a sinner. Can you believe it? Jesus, the son of God, Jesus, who was God, who became man in the flesh. Jesus, who the Bible attributes him to be the second person of the Trinity. They looked at him and they said, he's a sinner. That's blasphemy. That is denigrating holy things. And this thing can only happen when you have the veil of religion upon you. And one of the reasons why they accused Jesus was because they were blind. Blind people will never come to the reality of Christ. Every religious person is blind. And next week, I'll talk more on that. When we wrap up chapter 9, we are really going to talk about the case of spiritual blindness. And spiritual blindness doesn't deal with the eyes. When we talk about physical blindness, it's about the eye. But, but next week, when we talk about spiritual blindness, we will see where it really affects. But these people could not come to the reality of Christ because they were blind. And as a result of that, that was why they were denigrating Christ. 
they went as far to even discredit the healed blind man's story and went after his parents. His parents, who probably knew of Christ, claimed, claimed their son. That, that's our son. But for the fear of Jews, they told the Pharisees that, ask our son because he is of age. I see a problem right there. Where the spirit of religion is prevalent, there is intimidation. It's an atmosphere of intimidation. Religious people are bullies. They trip on power. can be very intimidating. Let me tell you something. If a church has an atmosphere of intimidation, the spirit of Christ doesn't dwell there. I'm telling you. Think about it. Seller. A real church, it, sh- it should have the spirit of love. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 9. I just read the- let me Let me just read the scripture right now. I don't know why this scripture came to me. Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 6. Now, if you read from verse 1 to 5, it talks about Christ who is going to come. But I want you to see something in verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamp. The leopard shall lie down with the young goats. If you know a bit of animals, wolf and lambs, they don't dwell together. Leopard and young goats, they don't dwell together. There is the fear factor and intimidation factor. The lamp is intimidated by the wolf. The young goat is intimidated by the leopard. But the Bible lets us know that when Christ's reign invades the earth, they will lie together in harmony. The, The lamp will not be intimidated by the wolf. Neither will the young goat be intimidated by the leopard, but they will lie together. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall grace. The young one shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Instead of the the lion feeding on other animals or acting on its carnivorous tendencies, it will now begin to eat grass like an ox. And the Bible lets us know that the nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. No intimidation. Wherever Christ dwells, there is no atmosphere of intimidation. A place where there is too much intimidation, the, the, the space is airtight, that people cannot feel free and have liberty. And when I'm talking about liberty, I'm not necessarily talking about loose living. I'm talking about liberty, having the liberty of the spirit to worship the Lord and and walk in the fullness of what God has made you to be. Wherever there is no atmosphere in such a place, I'm telling you, it is a place of religion. And I pray, may I never become religious to the point that I stifle people's liberty in Christ. And that's what happened. The parents were afraid. Even though they were members of the church, there was fear. 
there was intimidation. Nobody should say that Jesus is Lord. It's not a good spirit. The pride of religion. When the pride of religion ascends upon you, you are worse than a wizard or a witch. There is intimidation. There is real fear. And that's what happened. They, it, and, and the funny thing is that with all these things, they still pretended. And they told the man to give glory to God. But the funny thing is that when Jesus met these Pharisees, he, he told them, he said, you don't know my father. Yet these people say, give glory to God. And there is one thing about the, the, the Pharisees that you know, who had been entangled in a web of religion. They are cowards. Because the blind man faced them. I thank God for both people. I like both people. Let me tell you something. You can only silence the mouth of religious people when you are bold. <laughs> and, and if you know what God has made you to be, that's the only way you'll be able to silence them. That's the only way. And thank God for the blind man. He really knew his facts. And he let them know that, look, I'm not just a chicken. I really know what God has made me to be. And church, if there is a time whereby we should be convicted and we should be strengthened in our beliefs, I think that time is now for the sake of religious people, for the sake of people who want to be cowards and who want to bully your faith and bully you into not walking into what God has truly made you to be who you are. The man faced them, gave them the gospel, told them, I believe this is my miracle. I hold on to it. You can't change my testimony. And I'm telling you, in this present time that we live in, if you are not sure of who Christ is in your life, you will be bullied and you will be made to be silent about your beliefs. But when you know Christ, you have that niche, that upper edge, and you have every right for people not to shut your mouth about the testimony you have. Now, when you look at verses 28 to 29, they lied. They claimed they were of Moses' ilk, but it wasn't so. Because if truly they were of Moses' ilk, Moses prophesied about Jesus. So that's not really the case. And sometimes you realize that people who lie a lot, it is because they serve an idol called public image. They lie just to feel good. Look, religious people lie. Don't be fooled by their form. They lie a lot. And one of the reasons they lie is to save face and they lie because they serve the idol of public image. You know, today, the world has advanced so much. Very few people will worship wooden stuff or wooden things. Today, idolatry has changed. Idolatry is still here, but it has evolved. Today, one of the gods that we have is public image. And religious people are very concerned about public image. These people had no desire to worship God in spirit and in truth. It was all about making them feel good. And because they, 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 they sort of presided over a synagogue, they wanted people to make believe that 
we are of Moses' ilk. But they were not. Because if you read Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 to 19, Moses prophesied about the prophet, Jesus, who was going to come. So if these people truly believed in Moses, as they claimed, they would have seen that Jesus is the son of God. So they lied. And when you read verse 32, there is something amazing there that I like. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So when the blind man was talking to these Pharisees, he confronted their traditional beliefs. They were very traditional. When you read Mark chapter 7, Jesus Christ had a discourse with the Pharisees and he told them, because of your traditions, you have made the word of God of no effect. In this story, you will see that the Pharisees were trying to stick to convention. Inasmuch it is good to have a routine and to be set. Don't let it be an idol. Because sometimes that can be an idol. If you really want to flow with God, you have to be very fluid and not be set in your ways. But these people, they wanted to be very set and dictate how God will appear. You know, these people, they were really expecting God, but they wanted God to come according to their expectation. But when you read Isaiah chapter 53, it says that God, come on. There is no comeliness, no handsomeness, nothing to... He was very normal. Nazareth. Why are you born? Of all places, why were you born in Nazareth? Why, why were you even born in Bethlehem? You come from Nazareth and you're also born in Bethlehem. And you weren't even born in the best healthcare. You were born in a feeding trial. It doesn't look... prestigious they were set and because of that they missed Christ and that's very serious tradition you can short circuit the power of God because you have become too conventional and you've become too married to your method instead of being married to the will and the plan of God for your life Just some time ago, I was talking with Pastor Jessica and I was telling her that, wow, man proposes, God disposes. It's so true. Because I was telling her some plans, what I really wanted to do about many, many years ago. And then when I look back after 10 years, I realized that all those plans changed. And I had to flow because the will of God. I'm trying to say, if you try to be too set in your ways, you will miss the timing of God. And this was the problem with the Pharisees. God sometimes is in the business of doing new things you are not accustomed to, but they are in line with his word. Didn't God say that, behold, I do a new thing? Christians, we are funny. We like to quote that scripture, but we don't like to open up to the new things that God wants to do. Isaiah even prophesied about it, that a time will come, a man will walk on this earth, opening blind eyes, 
What Jesus did was new, but it was scriptural. Be careful labeling everything new as not from God. They had a problem. I le- which brings me to a very personal example. I listened to a podcast last week, which I, I forwarded to my wife, about some theologians condemning innovative ways of ministering the gospel. Their conclusion was, we should be traditional. They went as far to even criticize preachers who wear sneakers and jeans to preach instead of their traditional suit and tie. Well, what a pity. So, <laughs> when I sent this, I wanted my wife's buy-in and we had a good discussion about it. But that, that is what is even happening today. When the spirit of religion, because I'm thinking to myself, why aren't we talking about doctrine? Do these people believe in Jesus as their Lord and personal Savior? Are they preaching the correct message? Is the Holy Spirit flowing in their ministry? If, if it's a real ministry, are they bearing forth the fruits of the Spirit? Why do we want to sit down and talk about things like sneakers, jeans, wearing suits and tie? Why should this become... The for me, it was a useless conversation. I'm saying they have really missed the forest for the trees. And, and, and if this is a reflection and the image of today's church, it's a pity. We will not win much for the Lord because of tradition. Acts chapter 11, go and read it. Instead of the church rejoicing that Peter had gone to preach to Cornelius, which represented the Gentile, they were very upset. Why do you go there? And that's, the, that's us. It's time for us to know God and stop playing church. If you're a member of this church, I admonish you and I encourage you, know God. Because if you don't know God, you are at risk of becoming a religious person. And when you become a religious person, very unfortunately, all these signs will begin to show up in you. The Pharisees showed their pride by not believing in the works of God and also looked down on the blind man calling him a sinner. Religious people always condemn people. That's the height of pride when you think you are better than someone. The most dangerous person is one who holds a Bible, walks in the motion of ministry and church, has no personal relationship with God, and is religious, yet thinks he's on his way to heaven. So, that is the bait for every ICC member. But I pray we know Christ. I end on this. Getting out. It's important to get out. Say to yourself, I'm getting out. And how does it happen? It comes through knowing Christ by developing a solid relationship with him through prayer and the word. Look, this year, our theme, knowing Christ, it's not a buzzword. It's a word we have received from the Lord that we are to embark upon that by the end of 2021, when all is said and done, we will know him. Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 3, we've spoken much about it, a Pharisee. Just like these people, memorized the first five books of the Bible was in church, persecuting Christians, 
thinking he was doing the work of God. In Philippians chapter 3, it says, I count it all dung. All is dung. Why? Because he came to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. It comes through knowing God by developing a solid relationship with him through prayer and the word. You will need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Religious people can't stand the Holy Spirit. Yet they claim they are Christians. Religious people can't stand the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yet they claim they are Christians. Religious people can't stand the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yet they claim they are Christians. If you will want to break out of that shell of religion, you will need the ministry of the Holy Spirit because his main ministry is to reveal Christ. As we go through the books of John, the, I'm sorry, the book of John, we will, come, we will come to that where you will see the main ministry of the Holy Spirit. And knowing Christ will graduate your religion from mere worship and rituals to becoming more like Christ. We've done it in our Bible study. We have been predestined to become like Christ. I'm out of time, but I as well out of prayer. You want to be religious, worship, but let the object of your worship be Christ. Otherwise, you will exhibit all these signs I'm talking about. These people saw Christ face to face, but they were so blind because of the veil of religion, the pride of religion. I pray that may the Lord deliver us from all pride, that we will become more and more like him. But we can become more and more like him when we know him. Begin to pray in the next one minute. Thank you, Jesus. We've heard your word. We give you praise. Thank you for what you've done. Father, I've delivered your words to your people. We come to a place of intimate knowing, personal relationship that will become solid with you. And may we be delivered from the entanglement of religion, which is a yoke of bondage. May we not reduce this Christianity to mere worship of rituals, ceremonies, and externals, but may it be more of the spirit and of truth. Thank you that you have predestined us to be like you, that will be conformed to the image of your character in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.